So there are a lot of times as a dad that I find myself asking my children, did you not hear what I said? <laughs> Anybody ever been there as a parent where you find yourself saying, did you not hear me? So I think um, what's included in that question sort of question statement is this, um, there's a situation where I've given some instructions and for whatever reason, they're not happening. That the, the kids are not obeying the instructions that I've given. So um, obviously, the child has not heard me, right? That must be what's happened. Obviously, your ears are not working because I know you're not intentionally disobeying, right? That's, uh, I see dads sort of nudging their kids. I get it, I get it. So um, I've, I've been a dad all of um, a little over seven years and believe it or not, I still have this expectation that my children are going to hear instructions from their dad or their mom. They're going to joyfully respond to my authority and gladly obey immediately. There's something still in me that has this expectation because I find myself still going, you must not have heard me. So I wonder if that's the case for any of you as a father or a mother or as, as an authority figure. And, and believe it or not, I don't think we come by this by accident. I think we get this as fathers in particular for me. I get this from my heavenly father. See, this is how he responds when he has issued instructions. And for whatever reason, I am not doing them. This is the expectation from God. See, the reality is that when God speaks, everything obeys. You go, well, that's not quite true, is it? Well, hold on. Let's walk back all the way to creation. I want you to think about it. What happens in the very beginning? In the Genesis account, we've got God coming on the scene. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But how did he do that? Here's how he did it. God said, let there be what? Light, that was the first thing. And guess what happened? Utter darkness joyfully responded in obedience and light. And then God says, I'm going to skip a few verses, and God says, let the earth sprout vegetation. So imagine this, this orb, earth, just the surface of it begins to crack because of the power of the voice, the spoken command of God, he speaks and the earth just cracks and trees just, just start crunching through and rising. Just vegetation just happens. The earth obeys. Another cool one from creation. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. I can't even imagine what that looked like. But somehow or another, living creatures just came out of the earth. God spoke it, and everything obeyed. That's God's expectation. When He speaks the power of His Word, whatever hears obeys. So God has this expectation. Almost every time I go to the beach... Uh, my family and I went to the beach about a month ago. I stand on the seashore at some point and uh, watch the waves come in. And the wave comes and it stops and then it goes back out. And at some point, I'm just reminded. I remember a couple of years ago standing there with my daughter, my oldest at the time. And I was just standing there watching the waves. And she was like, what are you doing, Daddy? I was like, just watching God speak. 
Do you know that the Bible says that God tells the ocean how far it can go? So that with every wave where it comes in and stops and then recedes and goes back, with every wave, you're able to visibly watch the created world obey the voice of its God. Isn't that wild? God's voice is powerful. So what are we to assume when God speaks and people, get this, the only of God's creation that doesn't obey? What are we to assume when God speaks and people do not trust and obey? Well, Jesus is uh, struggling with this question as well. And the question that maybe you've asked your children, that I've asked my children, do you have ears? Are you not hearing me? Jesus asked his disciples in our text today, he asked them this question. So having ears, do you not hear? Well, this is the, the, the passage we've been in in Mark chapter 8, verse 18 in particular. He says, you have eyes and you still can't see. You have ears and you, you can't hear. Do you not remember? It's the question he's asking his disciples because they're, the, they're in a boat together and they've forgotten to bring bread in the boat for the journey. And they're all worried about it. And Jesus says, you've been with me this long and you've not really heard all that I've been doing, all that I've said. Um, Jesus says, you, you, have, uh, you, you were with me when I spoke and cast out demons. You, you heard that. You were with me when they lowered that man through the roof while I was teaching. You know, they, they tore open a roof and they lowered a man, a paralyzed man, down on a, on a mat right in front of Jesus. Interrupted his message. That'd be cool if it happened right here. Today. Just lowered this man right in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, you, you were there with me when I spoke to a paralyzed man. A man who'd never walked before, withered little legs, and I spoke and said, get up and take up your bed and walk. And he just stood up. His legs were immediately strengthened. You saw that. You heard that. Maybe Jesus is sort of refreshing their mind and remembering uh, maybe the moment where they were in a boat on another occasion and there's a great storm that came up. And if you remember, Jesus is asleep in the boat. Everybody else is panicking. So much so that they go and wake Jesus up and they say, don't you care? We're dying. And Jesus sort of wakes up and he's like, peace, be still. And the spoken word of Jesus, his creation immediately obeys. Remarkable, right? And Jesus says to his guys, do you have ears and you don't hear? All of creation seems to hear what's going on. What, what's wrong with you guys? Or maybe Jesus would like them to remember when he came across the man in the graveyard who was crazy, ran around naked. He was possessed by demons, lots of demons and um, Come to find out these demons had a name. They called themselves Legion because there was a lot of them. And they begged Jesus. The demons begging, please don't throw us into utter darkness. And Jesus is like, guys, you were there the day that I just told those demons to get out and go into those pigs. You were there. You heard me say it. That day, we even watched pigs fly, right? Have you forgotten? You've heard my voice. Or, or maybe 
Maybe he's warning them to remember the day that Jairus sent word. You know, his daughter was 12 years old. She's dying. And Jairus sends word to Jesus. He says, he says please come. you got to please come. I know you have the power to heal. Please come. My daughter is dying. And so Jesus is like, okay, we're going to go. So they start the journey. Well, the crowds are pressing in. And this is the point where this woman reaches over and touches his, his garment. And she's immediately healed. And Jesus stops and he talks with her and they have this great conversation. Well, in the meantime, Jairus' daughter, in the delay, she has died. So they send word and say, don't bother coming. She's already dead. Jesus says, mm, I think I'll come anyway. They get there to Jairus' daughter and he goes up in the upper room there with uh, Peter, James, and John. And he brings those guys close and he just stands over this little lifeless dead body. And he says, get up. Can you just hear it? The power of his spoken word. And this little girl, she just sits up in the bed. She says, I'm hungry. <laughs> they give her something to eat. Maybe Jesus is reliving these moments. And he's like, guys, do you not remember the... the the crowds had gathered that day and we only had a little boy's lunch and we took the food and I lifted it to the Father and I said, Father, bless this food. And we broke the bread and we scattered the bread and the fishes before all the people and we ended up with more leftover than we started with. Because I spoke. And the creation obeys. So our question that I want to Posed to us today is do we have ears to hear the master of the universe do you have ears to hear have you heard his voice and Jesus is asking his disciples if they're hearing with faith it's not just are you hearing the sounds you know I have to, I have to check with my children actually my wife has to check with me sometimes <laughs> And she says, uh, I'm not just asking you if you hear noise coming out of my mouth. Are you actually listening? <laughs> you know, right? It's not just do you have ears. I know you have ears and they're receiving signal. But are you, is it registering? Are you listening? So this morning, I want to ask us that about God. The Bible talks about this kind of listening, this, this hearing with faith. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, and faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the what? Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. You ought to read this later, but we're reminded, Paul is teaching us that God gives the Holy Spirit and works miracles among us when we hear with faith, not when we work in our flesh. When we hear with faith. So hearing with faith. Big question. Is that how you hear God? Do you hear with faith? So we've talked about remembering God's faithfulness. How we, we look back at what God's done. We look back with gratitude. And we take that moment of gratitude. Of thankfulness for His faithfulness. Like we sang this morning. I'm thankful Lord do it again. And we look forward 
with hope. Look back with gratitude, help you look forward with hope. We talked about how we need eyes to see. We need, just like the blind man was healed and he was touched by Jesus, and we need a touch from Jesus to open our eyes to see him for who he really is. And today, as we dream again about the future, as you as individuals and us as a church, as we dream about what God wants to do in the future, we're looking forward together and asking God what He wants for His church, for His church. This church is His body, it's His bride, and we better be listening to His voice. We need to be hearing Him with faith. So let's honor God's word together. If you will, find your place in Mark chapter 8 and stand with me. Uh, Let's read Mark chapter 8, verses 27 and following. As you're finding your place in Mark 8, we're also going to read this same story from Matthew 16. Um, So... Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's called the synoptic gospels, which means they're, they're intended to be seen together. And I just found that this would be really helpful for us today as we read Mark 8. Let's also read Matthew's account of this story from Matthew 16. So you may want to find your place in both spots, okay? Mark chapter 8. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, or others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's another title for Jesus, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. So there's no mistaking what he said. He said it openly and plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to, get this, rebuke him. What? But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Let's look at Matthew 16. Reading the exact same story from Matthew's perspective, we're given a little bit of detail. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? Lord Jesus, we pray that you be our teacher today. Holy Spirit, speak by the power of your word. And Lord, help us as your creation to joyfully respond in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So you only get right answers when you ask the right questions. You only get right answers if you ask the right questions. And in this setting, Jesus asked probably what is the greatest question of all time. And I want you to hear this question, not as Jesus asking it just to his guys that are following him around, but hear this question to yourself. Who do you say that Jesus is? For the disciples, you know, Jesus said, who's everybody saying that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some, Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus didn't give any time to all of that. He just said, okay, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? Peter responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus This look of affirmation comes over his face. He looks at Peter and says, Blessed are you, Peter, because people didn't tell you that. God has told you that. God opened your eyes. God's opened your heart. God's opened your ears to see, to hear, to know and believe that I am Christ. I'm not sure these guys understood exactly the weight of what that meant. And I don't know if we get it today. So what is this title, Christ? You are the Christ. What does that mean? The the word Christ means anointed one. Anointed one? Did that help you? I don't know. So I want you to think back for a minute. When it's talking about anointing, it's talking about anointing the king. This is the process by which a king comes into his kingship. 
if you will. If you remember when, uh, when the prophet was going to select a king for Israel and he was going to Jesse and he was looking at all Jesse's sons and he's going to eventually find David, but he looks at all Jesse's sons and he's like, no, not this one. God's not saying, it's not that one. It's not this one. He looks at all the sons of Jesse and the prophet says, no, this is none of them. But the Lord has said it's a son of Jesse. So Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, I've got one more, but he's out in the field with the sheep. He's kind of, you know, small and, I mean, surely it's not him. They go get David and David comes in and the prophet says, this is him. It's the king. And there's this beautiful anointing process where they anoint David with oil. And King Saul is still the king. But this is the moment that God puts his seal on David and says, he's going to be king. And right here, Peter says, you are the Christ. What he's saying is, you're the king. You're the king of all eternity. You're the one that the law, the Old Testament law was pointing to. You're the one that the prophets foretold of. You're the one that the priests continually talk about. You're the one that every king we've ever lived under references and says there's a king coming whose throne will last for all eternity. Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is huge. So who is Jesus to you? Has God opened your eyes to see him for who he is? Has God opened your ears to hear the words coming from this king's mouth? Has God opened your heart to believe that Jesus is the Christ Peter didn't fully understand it. I don't know if we do either, but I want us to get this picture. Here's what happened. Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. And upon this rock, I build my church. I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom. Oh, man, this is a moment for Peter, right? This is awesome. Well, then Jesus says, and here's how I'm going to become king. The Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by everyone that matters and then eventually be killed. And it's at that point, Peter grabs Jesus by the arm and he's like, no way, this is not happening. I'm not going to let this happen. You are not going to suffer. You're my king. This is not the way to the throne. Surely there's another way. And Peter, who was on the mountain with Jesus, immediately finds himself in the valley. Can you imagine Jesus, the one who looks at a lifeless dead girl and says, get up, and she gets up. The one who looks at a man who's been paralyzed all his life and says, get up and take your bed and go home. And he gets up and takes his bed and goes home. The one who spits in a blind man's eyes and says, what do you see? And he says, I, I kind of see. And Jesus puts his hands on him again. And he's like, what do you see now? I see everything. This Jesus says, I must suffer. I must be rejected and I must die. And Peter says, no, no way. This tiny human being speaks to the eternal king of all creation and says, not a chance. 
It's wild. What a turn of events for Peter. Jesus turns and looks at him pretty sharply and says, Get behind me, Satan. Matthew records that Jesus says, You are a hindrance to me. Wow. And Jesus clarifies for him. He says, you're not listening to God right now. You've got the things of man on your mind. Think about this. Self-preservation is of Satan. Jesus would say it this way. Beware the leaven of the Pharisee. Beware the leaven of Herod. This desire to save your own skin, this desire to self-promote, to make something of yourself, to elevate yourself, that's what Jesus would say is like leaven in the bread. It contaminates all of it. It, it, it makes it completely contaminated. And Jesus would say, beware of self-preservation. It will keep you from following me. Self-preservation, self-promotion is of Satan, is what Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan. Self-sacrifice is of Christ. You know, Jesus is talking about his suffering he's about to undergo, and he's about to go through terrible suffering, rejection, and ultimately be killed. And then after Peter's comments, Jesus turns to the rest of his followers, and he says, listen, if you want to follow me... This is your path too. You will need to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. This is not just my path, it's your path too. Self-sacrifice is of Christ. He calls us to follow him. So there's a significant word in this text I want us to focus in here uh, for a few moments. Look in, uh, in Mark chapter 8. This word has never stuck out to me like it has recently but it's been an amazing study so Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 verse 31 says and he began to teach them that the son of man what's the next word must it just struck me as I was reading through here what does the word must mean it, it means well, must indicates that there's, there's no other option. There's no choice to be made here. There's no decision to be made here. Decision's been made. I'm just supposed to do it. I'm not supposed to be in the deciding world. I'm just doing. I must do this thing. The decision has been made already. There's no options. There's an authority. And Jesus is saying, I must do this, it must be done because the authority says this is the way it has to be. So Jesus, all of his life, submits to authority. And you say, well, who is his authority? He's the king. He's, he's God. Who's his authority? Well, Jesus came in flesh and modeled for us what it's supposed to look like to submit to the Father and listen to the Holy Spirit. So he lives his whole life. And Jesus says on multiple occasions, he says, I only do what the Father has told me to do. 
And I only say what the Spirit is telling me to say. Why does he act that way? He is submitting to authority. And so he must, because the authority has prescribed his coming to kingship through this process. There is no other way. He must. I want you to do something with me. This is the audience engagement. I want you to take your right hand. Just hold it up like this. I want you to say authority. (coughs) Authority means you must. Authority has the right to tell you what to do. Authority says this is what we're doing. Do it. Authority demands obedience. I want you to hold your other hand up. I want you to say the word autonomy. Autonomy says it's, it's my decision. It's what do I want to do today? What do I think is best? I'm independent. I'm, I'm a thoughtful person. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I can do what I want to do. Autonomy says I think I'll make this decision. Autonomous people make decisions. People who submit to authority do a decision that's already been made. You can put your hands down. Thank you for participating. You guys are awesome. But I want to ask you, is your life submitted to authority? Or do you live and operate in a world of autonomy? Is there must in your world? I mean, are you, I hate to ask you this, but are you a musty person? (laughs) That's not what I mean. Uh, Do you ever find yourself saying things like, I must do this? Here's the thing, if you're listening to God, you will have some must in your life. And Jesus models this, it's not just about his death, he models for us this idea of must. Let me give you just two scenarios, but I've looked it up, there's a bunch. Two scenarios, John chapter 4, Jesus says, I must go through Samaria. Why? Because he had an appointment with a woman at a well. She needed the gospel, and so did her city. And Jesus must go through Samaria. Jesus is walking with a large crowd one day, and as he's going through the city, he looks up in a tree, and there's a little man who has climbed up in the tree because he's short. And you know who that is? What's his name? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Jesus walks by Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. And then he says this. I don't know if you've ever caught this. He says, because I must go to your house for dinner. This is not about suffering and death. These are about divine appointments that an authority has told Jesus what he must do. Jesus often uses this word must, and those who heard him heard him speak with a kind of authority that they even asked questions like must. There was a rich young man one day that said, what must I do to enter the kingdom? There was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, who said, Lord, what must I do to have it eternal life? Must. You see, Jesus knew and they knew there was an authority to answer to. Must indicates requirements, no alternatives, no options, no choices. But get it, here's what's happening. Jesus says, I must suffer, I must be rejected, I must be killed. And Peter says, no Lord, there's options. You got options, there's certainly another way. Let's be autonomous here, let's don't be under authority. There's another way. 
to your throne. See, Peter loved the idea of Jesus being king because Jesus had told them, I'm going to be the king. We're going to be victorious. You are going to rule along with me. And so Peter loved that. Like, he's going to be king. We're going to be with him. For th- That's going to be incredible. And then Jesus says, but I've got to suffer and die, and probably you will too. What? No. No, there's another way, Lord. Surely, over my dead body, it's not going to happen. And Jesus looked at him and he said, uh, get behind me. You are a hindrance to me. You're not listening to God. You're listening to men. I want to ask us three questions today, and this is how we'll finish. Do you listen to God? Here's your questions. One, do you pray? Do you pray? And what I mean is, do you listen and trust what you hear from the Creator who spoke, let there be light? Are you listening to His voice and joyfully responding in obedience to your authority? I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to listen in prayer. I'm, I'm quite the talker, you might could imagine. Well, even on my knees, the silence, I struggle with it. I don't know if you feel this way, but I struggle. Just a few moments of silence and I feel the pressure to talk some more. And the Lord is like, just be quiet. Let me talk to you. You listen. Do you listen in prayer or do you just do whatever you want to do and hope God's okay with it? I want to tell us, before doing, listen. Pray first. Listening to your creator, the eternal king, is what is meant when Jesus says, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come your will be done in earth as it is in heaven that prayer is meant to posture us to be a listening people who are saying to almighty god whatever you say our yes is on the table we're listening and we are postured to joyfully obey so you decided to take a new job did you pray about it So the the kids are jumping into yet another sport and you're trading in the precious commodity of time. Did you pray about it? Have you listened to the Creator, to your Savior, to the Christ, the King? So you think it's time to end your marriage. It's been been, too hard. It's time to end this marriage and move on. The grass is greener. Surely something else will come along. Have you prayed about it and talked to the one who started marriage? He might have something to say. We must be a praying people. Listen, we must pray. Must. And I want to commit to you as a new pastor that prayer will be a priority. We will seek God's heart together and we'll take steps of bold, faithful obedience in joy. Listening to the one who has all authority and surrendering our autonomy. I want you to know there's already a group of people, small group as they may be, but there's already a group of people who gather here on Saturdays just to pray. Hope you'll consider being part of that because it's glorious. Just to say, God, we need you. Speak to us. 
Show us yourself. Beginning of 2019, 2019, just actually a couple months away, we will begin as a church with a season of fasting and prayer. I'm going to call all of us to participate in a fast and a time of prayer. And you, you go, I, I don't think I can fast. I don't think my health will allow it. Well, there's, a, there's ways of fasting. But in essence, fasting is this. Disconnecting from the world and connecting to your God. So I'm asking you to commit with me in the beginning of the year to say prayer matters and we're going to listen to our God. Second thing, do you pray? And this is, do you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible? Or do you just skim articles, listen to podcasts, surf social media? Listen, if you're not tuned into hearing God's voice, start reading His written word. And if you want to hear Him speak out loud, read it out loud. Every word in this book is spoken, is inspired by a holy God. And it's meant for you. He wants you to hear His voice. Let me challenge you to read your Bible every day. And specifically, I want to challenge you to read it in large chunks. Like not just a couple of verses and then a little devotion and then move on and go do what you want to do. That's sort of just scratching the itch and then going on with your own world. What I want to challenge you to do is press into reading more and more and more. Maybe take 30 minutes and set a timer and just sit and read for 30 minutes. Stretch that to an hour if you want to. Just this week, you know, we're preaching through Mark 8. So just this week, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to read Mark. So I just sat down and just took two hours and I read all 16 chapters straight through. Two hours. That's a movie. You can do this. Read the Bible. What would change about your life if you just took your TV time or your social media thumb surfing time and gave it to Bible reading? What would change in your life? I'm telling you, God would radically change your world. Because for the first time you're going, I'm listening. Speak to me. I need to hear you, God. Read the Bible. We must authority. We must read our Bibles. And lastly, is Jesus your King? Is He your King, the Christ, the Son of the living God? Is He King or is He your therapist? Is He your go-to for advice when you need it? Is He your rescue plan for when your life gets messy? Is He um, that friend that you go to just to get a rubber stamp on what you've already decided to do? What if Jesus is asking you today, who do you say that I am? Am I your king? I have news for you. He will only be king. He will not settle for less. If you want a relationship with Jesus, he will only be your king. He will not sit by while you're on the throne of your life. He will be king, only king. But the good news is that he is a good king. He's the kind of king who willingly died to rescue you from your sin. 
He's the king who would not let better options keep him from the cross. He's the king who defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he promises you a seat at the table if you will hear and believe. John 5, 24, Jesus says, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. If you've never trusted Christ as your king today, I want to call you to surrender to him now. Lay down your autonomy and trust the one who has for all eternity had all authority. And next time you hear his voice, joyfully obey For the Christians in the room, let me remind you that the call to follow Jesus is not just so you can get to heaven and float around playing some harp. That's not heaven. Jesus actually wants you to walk with him and live like him. That's not easy. It's hard. Sometimes tough decisions have to be made. He says if you want to follow him, you must also take the path of the cross. Deny yourself. Surrender your autonomy. Surrender your options. Stop presuming you know better than he does. Stop and listen to him. Hear what he says. Hear it with faith. That means trust and joyfully obey. So if you're off the path today, I want to call you to repent of your sin and be restored in your relationship with the Christ, the King for all eternity. So three things today, church, as our musicians are coming. Here's, here they are. We must pray. We must read the Bible and press into the voice of our God. And we must trust Him as King. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. Help us to hear from you today, to respond to you in joyful obedience. Thank you for this word. It's strong. It's, Lord, it's a pull against our flesh. Everything about me wants to press into my autonomy, make my own decisions, do what I want to do. Uh, but God, everything about the call to follow you is a call to surrender all of that, to press into the must of following Jesus, that I must take up my cross Daily, that I must surrender my preferences and my power and surrender that to you, Lord. So, God, help us today. This is a struggle all across this room, a struggle for me and all across this room to look to you not just as my helper, but as my king. Lord, thank you. We're yours in this moment. In Jesus' name.